Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. Today I am joined by my incredibly good buddy, Brian, who is going to be talking about how you can use alignment to completely remove or reduce burnout. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. What I love about Brian is we met through a mutual friend of ours, um, because um, Brian noticed a disalignment in somebody. And uh, our very first conversation together was a discussion about somebody who was in unalignment. And I'm not into to bashing or, or talking drama, so I won't name who they are, but it was somebody we both know, definitely not the mutual friend. Uh, but what I would like to talk to you, Brian, about is um, how does that manifest? How do you identify somebody that is out of alignment and how does that turn into burnout? Well, I think first, first and foremost, most people don't even know whether they're in alignment or not. And so many people are operating in autopilot and many people are operating based on their emotional triggers, behavioral patterns and environmental conditioning that has caused them to believe a certain things about themselves that they've only sought that same information to further validate throughout their lives, right? How does this manifest? What does it look like? Well, it can look like heaviness. It can look like weight. It can look like the inability to catch a breath. It can look like my wife asking me a question like, hey, honey, what are we gonna do with the kids this weekend? And all of a sudden I feel my anger and reaction and defense bubbling up. And I, I, I rattle off the 10 things I've done in the last four days to show her what I've done to be a good husband and father when that's not even what she asked, but because my shame filter caused me to hear, hey, honey, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father here recently. So what are you going to do to make up for it this weekend? Not even what she asked, right? So many times we're reacting to something that has nothing to do with what's right in front of us. And that is typically what's going to create a misalignment. So I, one of my favorite misalignment stories was a guy I met at a mastermind and he had a question. The question was, how can he buy a building to create a co-working space? And I remember when he asked this, he had this entire vision about how he was going to fund this building. And so I do a lot of M&A and I help people generate funds for that kind of stuff. So I was, you know, all right, well, let's really talk about what it's going to cost to buy this building. And in doing so, I asked him just one question. Why the hell do you want to buy a building, right? Why? why? And he goes, I want to buy a building because I want to turn it into an incubator so that I can help the co-working businesses grow their business. So then I follow with another question. If you could do what you wanted without buying a building, would that be good enough for you? And suddenly he's like, well, but yeah, I've got to buy a building. So I was like, forget that. Let's just say I give you a building. Now you've got a building. Are you going to want to buy another building or are you going to want to help the companies? He goes, well, I want to help the companies. I was like, so what if instead you partner with a co-working space move in and develop an incubator in that space. Instead of buying a building, you can rent an office in any co-working space and just wander around networking and tell everyone that you're an incubator. Yeah. And if they want to be in on your incubator, you do dinners once a month for people in the co-working space. Yeah. And you just did the entire thing without generating the $42 million that you wanted to generate to buy this building. And to me, that was a perfect example of alignment I keep in my head. We often think that what we want to do needs us to do something else first but that something else is often irrelevant. Like um, another version of this, and, and I'd love to get your opinion on it. Um, I was part of a mastermind that was all about how to grow to eight figures. Mm -hmm. 
And everyone in the room was a seven-figure business owner, and they all wanted to grow to eight figures. And I have a number of clients uh, that I, I help grow, and then nine figures. Like one of my clients is doing 440 million a year, and I go in, and when I impact that company, it grows by you know, 30 million, 40 million, huge numbers. And um, so I went back to the room of the seven-figure business owners, and I was like, hey guys, um, I know this sounds silly, but why are a bunch of seven-figure business owners hanging out together, trying to work out how to make eight figures? Sounds crazy. Why don't you guys go and hang out with some eight or nine-figure business owners who to them, second, seven figures is a joke. Seven figures they can do in a month. Surrounding it. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's yeah. like it's nothing, but it's because there's that mindset of I'm going to have to grow slowly versus just bypass. Yeah. And so um, that company is actually Berkshire Hathaway, Nebraska. I'm their, their consultant. And I love working with them because they have a nine-figure mindset. Yeah. It's a, a total difference. So you know, speaking to that, why do you believe that business owners think they have to go this slow route versus just going straight to nine figures? Yeah. So a lot of what I do is help people identify and remove the trash from their past. It continues to show up as their biggest problems in relationships, business, health, and life, and help them transform that waste into wealth. So the reality of it is, is we are conditioned to believe things about ourselves and the way we operate from the world, again, from those early childhood memories. Many people, because their dad looked at them incorrectly or they gave prioritization to their sibling, all of a sudden found a way to have an outlet in sports and they get celebrated. So they've learned to receive love, validation and connection through performance. They've also listened to what the world has told them their entire fucking lives on you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should be this, you shouldn't be that, you should want this, you shouldn't want that. Should's a shame-based word, it automatically implies whoever you are, whatever you're doing, it's not good enough. And so the that. reality of it is- Should is, is a shame-based word, so that's good. Yeah, there, there's an element of pain that we associate with growth. And I'll tell you, I'm a practitioner of pain. When I was seven, I was run over by a truck. My left arm was severed from my body. It was reattached. I've had 24 surgeries, years of adversity. I used to think that was my transformation story. It was just the story that created a bunch of trash. But the world told me to show up, put a smile on, push through and push down. So what did I do? I pushed down until I created a shrapnel bomb of trash that exploded in my world, right? Burnout happened time and time and time and time again. I kept banging my head against the wall, but I'm thinking I'm gonna find a different approach. And so I think that there's an association to pain and what is on the other side of it that many people look at. I look at my climb to success and what's crazy is looking back, I had convinced myself that I needed to crawl up the mountain on my hands and knees and it wasn't going to be worth it unless it was bloody. But if I'm really honest now, I can look back and see all the elevators, all the escalators, all the sets of stairs that I walked <laughs> right by that could have bifurcated like a whole bunch of pain, right? But I had convinced myself that this is what I need to do because otherwise it's not worth it. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that operate in that space and they've also gotten their identity wrapped up in the job they've provided themselves versus understanding how to really scale their life and business. Yeah, and I, this is fascinating because uh, about three years ago, somebody said to me, what's next for you? And, um, and this question comes up every so often and uh, it, it's really funny because I'm always like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, what do you mean you're there? I was like, well, I did it, I'm there. I'm like, what does that even mean? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm basically, I've created my heaven and I'm just enjoying heaven. And I kind of just want to stay here as long as possible. Yeah. And they're like, do you want to be bigger than that? I was like, I don't think so. I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I get to play in nine figure companies often. Like, you know, I, I do all my work pretty much in one week out of the month and then an extra day here and there. And then the rest of the time I can choose to work with a client who is making a huge amount of money. 
I get to go in for a day, play with all the really big toys, do all the really big fun stuff, help them make so much more money than they pay me. What they paid me is a nice bonus that I can spend on a vacation or whatever it is that I want to do. And then I go back to my incredibly lovely, mostly passive revenue of seven figures a year. And I, I like that life. And uh, it's funny because I was sitting at the, the dinner table last night um, and, uh, and I was talking to Eve and uh, she said, you know, what's, what would be next for you? And I was like, well, I kind of like the idea of getting eight figures. She goes, no, you don't. I was like, I do. I, do. I won eight figures. She goes, no, you don't. She goes, you want to deal with the legal stuff and the paperwork and everything that's safe? She's like, you know, making three to seven million a year is really comfortable. Like, you don't, no one cares about you. You can just enjoy your life. She goes, you want a sword fight and you want to play Warhammer and Dungeons and Dragons and hang out with your kids, play Zelda. You do not want, <laughs> want that. And she's like, and, and you like playing with those companies. And, and so when you talk about alignment, I'm like, yeah, I probably, I'm probably in alignment. I probably got it and, and just enjoy doing that. But yet we're conditioned to always want more, 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 more. Right. And we're consistently looking ahead in the future. And the problem with looking ahead in the future is it only matters if you have intentional aligned action for the life you want to live right now. Like you can have goals, you can have visions, you can have plans. Like, yes, you need to have intentional aligned action, but it's, it's that belief system. It's like, well, I'm comparing myself to someone else, right? I'm going to have to deal with criticism and judgment and fear and guilt and imposter syndrome to be able to get on my rise. It's like, oh, well, if I can just be there. I just had a coaching call with a client the other day who went to a mastermind with two people who were worth over 50 million who were running it. And it was in a room where he was the least wealthy person. He'd convinced himself for a long time that he needs to be making that amount of money, but he has a deep problem with his relationship with money and scarcity shows up consistently in all of his actions, right? The reality of it is when we actually sought alignment for him and we were able to pare that back down, it's like, well, do you want the lifestyle they have? No, I, I, I guess I don't really. Do you want all the things, all the staff, all the people, all the responsibility? Mm, no, I don't. Okay. If you had unlimited disposable income, like what would your lifestyle look like compared to what it is today? And where do you want to go from a growth perspective to provide that for yourself? Oh, well, I mean, I either want to renovate my current house or I want to buy another one, but I'm pretty simple other than that. I mean, I like to buy nice stuff. Okay. So how much money do you think you need to make? You know, he's a chiropractor who has been producing over a half million dollars of revenue in his practice, but it's not providing the lifestyle that he wants. What's crazy is he only needs a 30% bump on his revenue for him to live exactly the lifestyle that he believes, but he's been chasing to build a $10 million chiropractic business and trying to approach all these systems and processes to get him there, which are just killing him on the inside. Yeah, you'll you get the money and lose the lifestyle. By the way, that's what I did because I chased the what? When I realized that I didn't have connection, I wasn't there, what did I have for human connection as a model? What house, what car, what amount of money? I didn't have a who model, I had a what model. So I chased it all and at 27, I woke up, we'd already built a $10 million risk management employee benefits consulting business. We had gone from two of us to over 40 of us in a period of a decade. And I realized at 27 years old, I had all the what's I wanted, house, car, money, hot wife, beautiful, kids on the way, but it cost me who I was. And then I'm running in circles of people making multiple seven figures, eight figures, right? And many of them were feeling the exact same way, but we had the lifestyle. We had the perfect image of what this was. We had what everybody had acquired, but here's what, what I realize now. My unconscious mind was trying to create a life of significance so that people might just want to be around me, right? Because I was in seek of who? I was in seek of human connection. And so that's one of the deepest things we teach now is how to connect at the deepest level through the human experience. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I had a, a moment uh, you know, me and Eve got married recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, last month. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Aww. Thank you. 
And um, we got a really unique wedding gift. And I always believed that um, when I work hard to get like that, that dream vehicle, that I would like show it off. And you know, for most people, the dream vehicle is, is a Bugatti. It's like the, the thing you're never gonna buy. And one of my clients is incredibly wealthy. He bought me and Eve matching Bugattis. And that was actually our, our wedding gift, yeah. So they arrived. Beautiful. And you'd think that when I got the Bugattis, I would have put it online and been like, look. But there was nothing to be proud of because we didn't earn them. We were just gifted a pair of Bugattis that are now um, sitting in the back of her car because they're the scooter. They're 800 bucks, they're great. Um, and but you did earn them because it was the relational capital you'd built right. that created the investment for them to do that right. for you. And what I love about uh, the, the scooter Bugatti, by the way, which everyone here should buy, I think, um, is, and I think about this all the time, a Bugatti isn't actually a nice car. Um, I've had a lot of very nice cars. I've, I've got a custom car coming that I'm building. Um, I found the guy that still has the Shelby Cobra license. My car's been built for uh, 18 months. I've got a brand new Shelby coming on the way. I'm very excited about it. It's a half a million dollar car. That's a dream car that I have always wanted my whole life. It's not because other people want it. It's just because I, a Shelby is the kind of car that when you drive down the road, everyone's like, look, like it looks cool, right? A Bugatti kind of has that, but also kind of looks like a lot of other cars and unless you really know what you're looking at. And I, I was thinking about this. I thought, why would I ever want a Bugatti? I was like, the only reason I'd want it is to take a picture with it, show everyone that I bought it, and then never use it again, ever. The Shelby is actually fun to drive. My go around, my favorite car is a $20,000 Mercedes van. I love this thing, best vehicle ever. And here's why I like it. I got a really good buddy of mine, he's one of my business partners who will drive me if I have to go somewhere. And I turn the seats into a bed and I sleep. Yeah. And I like traveling around in my Mercedes. I'll let everyone, like, everyone's like shotgun, I'm like great, back, back seat, bed. And I just take a pillow and a blanket and I curl up in a $20,000 car and get taken wherever I wanna go and, and go to sleep. And what I love is I always thought, well, if I got a Bugatti, I'd brag about it. And, put, and I totally thought about taking a picture of the box they give you with the, comes like the key and it looks like you have a Bugatti, you know, be like, hey, got an amazing wedding gift and, you know, joke about the fact and then show off that it's a scooter. The reality is I couldn't care. And it occurred to me that if I bought one, it would be $3 million worth of car that I would make a single social media post about and then I wouldn't care. And I, I love this because for me, it really gets you to think about what do you really, really want? Um, because ultimately what I want is fun, happiness, and joy with my loved ones. And, and that's it. Like, um, I, uh, there's, a, there's a guy in the audience, uh, Grant, who, who, uh, who hopefully gets to talk to you later on. Um, me and Grant, um, we definitely could be doing business together and we've spoken about it. But when we hung out, we went to dinner the other day, which was supposed to be a business chat. We spent the entire time nerding out and talking about nerdy stuff. And it was so much fun. And at the end of it, I was like, can we just do that again? Like, can we do that like every week? Um, and to me, that's like the best thing in life. The business stuff, ultimately, at the end of the day, doesn't, um, you know, doesn't mean as much unless it's what you truly, truly want. Um, and I, the moment I knew that is I'd, 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 I'd never noticed your arm. Do you know that? It's crazy. Most people don't. You yeah. Know, it's four inches shorter and like way smaller. My hands are different, but it amazes me. I can be on story or I can be on stage telling my story and I could be telling it in third person and talking about this boy that got run over, this arm, and there's this reveal moment. And 90% of the room doesn't even notice that it's me. And I wear short sleeves on stage always intentionally. Yeah. And so, yeah, most people don't, because I don't, I don't carry it differently. It's just a part of who I am. It's- Yeah, you, you, it's, not, it's not you. 
exactly like you said, you're you and it's just something that happened. Something happened. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I, I'll tell you where this came from is, uh, I had a stroke about four years ago. And when I had my stroke, I lost the ability to talk, lost the ability to think. And I was the happiest person ever because all my worries vanished. There was nothing to worry about. And I was actually laughing that I couldn't think of words. And I found that hysterical yeah, because my totally. brain knew what it wanted to say. And then I couldn't say it. Yeah. And uh, the way they give you a test, they show you pictures. And as my speech started coming back, I'll never forget, they showed me a feather. I'm like, what's that? I'm like, that's a bird leaf. <laughs> and I was like, just cracking myself up. Or they showed me a hammock. And I was like, hangman. And like my brain was like equating. It was, you definitely hang a man that way, right? But like my brain would not give me the word. And I was, I was like, this is the funniest thing ever. Everything has different words right now, you know? Um, but I loved it because like when you have a life changing incident, there are two ways to think about it, which is everything sucks. This is terrible. Or, oh my God, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, I'm going to get yeah. through this. And it, it is how you carry yourself through that drama. So I, yeah, I, I love that because you're right. Um, one of my favorite experiments, do you know the one about if someone's doing a push-up and how you talk to them impacts how many push-ups they can do? So yeah, so if you, uh, for everyone listening, if you, try, if you know you can do 100 push-ups, you go, I'm going to do 100 push-ups. And I sit next to you and as you do 100 push-ups, I'm like, you don't have to do this, man. You don't have to prove this to anyone. Yeah. Like seriously, like just feel that tiredness in your arms, that lactic acid builds up, you're probably causing long-term harm. Like just relax, no one cares if you hit the 100. You, you're like 15 and you're like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. On the other hand, if I'm next to you, you're like, you can do it, don't stop, don't quit. You know, your mom wanted to be proud of you, make sure you're proud of you, and you're like, oh my God, right? The burnout is actually coming from the environment around you. Well, and I'm going to argue that it's coming from the environment around you and what you allow yourself to yes. internalize. Yes, much better. Because Thank you, you can yes. be in an environment, but if you're centered and clear, it doesn't mean you have to absorb it. But I did for a long time. But to that point, exactly, bro. Like, I came out of the hospital and I had a teddy bear in between my arm, 90 degrees, and I'm a seven-year-old, right? So inevitably, people would say, hey, what happened to you? Right? And they were expecting me to be like, well, I was racing my brother down the street on our bikes and I crashed or I flew off the jungle gym or whatever, right? But I'd look at them deadpan in the eye and I'd say, I was on a bike truck and my arm was torn off. Now, after I got used to seeing people's jaws hit the floor and then pick that, that back up, 95% of people would literally pause and turn to my parents for validation, yeah. which told me that they didn't believe my story. They didn't believe the truth I had just owned about myself, right? And secondarily, those same people would start to view me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation, immediately limiting me and telling me what I was going to do. Yeah. Right now, how many of you have ever felt misunderstood, not seen, not understood? Your truth hasn't been accepted. Guess what? The second that happens, you protect yourself. The second you protect yourself, you disconnect yourself. I'll tell you what that looks like in a minute. But what I did was created a mental toughness and a mental narrative because I was told if I have a strong mindset, I'm going to be able to do everything. <clears throat> so that's literally what I did. Here was my mindset. And this was literally the narrative I created. Brian's good. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. And Brian can do anything himself. Now, the narrative all the people in my world added was, Oh, and if he needs help, he'll ask for it. Makes sense. Right? Now, I crushed a lot of stuff in that period of time. When I said that it started to unpack the trash where I realized it, it's because at 20 years old, I rebroke my arm snowboarding, almost lost it again, and it went hanging by myself <coughs> for 10 months, going through seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me. Got into a deep, isolated depression because I'd realized that though I was surrounded by people, I was isolated and alone. Yeah. And that's when I started to focus on vulnerability and authenticity, which I believe are the glue that binds human connection. But the reality of it is I was still protecting myself. 
the human experience, we all want, seek, and desire four things. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel protected. We all want to feel seen and understood. And we all want to feel connected. The two we want most are the two at the end, but they don't happen unless the first two do. So the second you walk into a room and you don't feel safe, you protect yourself. Now, do you know what a 35-gallon black trash bag looks like for the Abs outdoor ones? Absolutely, okay. yeah. So imagine, and just for the sake of it, imagine that you've unfolded and you're holding it out in front of you, right? Yep. As, as, a, as a piece Got of it. armor, okay? Everybody do this just for a second because you'll feel it, okay? Now imagine you're holding this black opaque trash bag. That's your armor, okay? Now I want you to tell me, how can you expect anybody to properly see you, understand you, know your intent, your heart, your desires, your boundaries, the way that you're going to operate, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, how you're going to be able to help them, service them, the solutions that you're going to provide delivered through an opaque force field. And that's also assuming that they're not carrying their own to protect themselves. That's going to further dilute the message. So the second you protect yourself, you disconnect yourself. So the second you buy into a narrative that you can't do something, well, right? How many of us don't like to be told what to do? I don't. And anytime somebody tells me that I can't do it, I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to show you. I don't do that anymore, but that's how I always used to operate. Now I don't really give a fuck what anybody says because I found center. But when I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I shut off emotional pain, mental pain, and spiritual pain for 20 to 25 years and didn't even know it. Dude, I, I, I got I to gotta resonate with you on this. So not everyone knows this, but a lot of people do. Um, for 18 years, uh, I've been in the dating industry. I was voted the number one dating coach in the world three years in a row. And uh, for a while, for a while, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, back in 2010. But for a while, I ran the nightclub scene in London. Um, there were like the seven biggest nightclubs, Pharrell, P. Diddy, Beyonce. Their agent would contact me and be like, yo, they want to come to a club. You need to pack the club with these kind of people. And that was, that was what I did. I made a lot of money and it was a very interesting world. But what you get when you do that is a lot of women. And it was very easy for me to have wonderful experiences with women, but I'd lost the ability to fall in love and for people to fall in love with me. Yeah. It was purely a status game. And, um, and it's really fascinating because over years, um, I got known for being the guy that can make social circles and, and do this. And then I recognized I had suffered a massive depression. And I'll, I'll tell you what that looks like for everyone here to, to hear what the deepest depression looks like when you have everything. It's when you turn up to a nightclub called China Whites in London. I don't even know if China Whites still exists. It, it probably does, because it was like one of the classics. And I turned up in pajamas. And the door guy is like, yo, dude, you can't turn up in pajamas. Like, you can't. And I had 250 of the most beautiful women in London with me. And I was like, say that again, and I take him somewhere else. And the door guy looks at me and is like, what do you mean? I was like, I have 250 women and I have three nightclubs that want them. I'm choosing to come here. You let me in in pajamas or I take the girl somewhere else. Yeah. And the door guy's like, what is wrong with you? I was like, your choice, make the call, bro. And he's like, you're a dick. I was like, cool. And so I go into the nightclub in pajamas. The girls think this is hysterical, by the way, that I'm in pajamas. And I have a pillow and a teddy bear. And I walk in and I find the number one table and I make a bed. And I lie down, cuddling the teddy bear on the, on the bed. And every hot girl is like, hey, what's wrong? You okay? I was like, I'm fine. Want to snuggle? And I was like, grab women. I'm just cuddling up like this, right? And that was when I realized there was a problem. And so my buddy, a very good friend of mine. <laughs> that was the moment? That was the moment, yeah. There was no warning signs before that. It was weird. There was nothing. <laughs> nothing. I was in such good alignment. Anyway, and so my, my really good friend came and sat next to me. And he's like, bro, 
why aren't you interested in any of it? I was like, I can date anyone here. It's not what I want. I'm missing something. Is that what you mean? I was like, look, just point to a woman. And he pointed to a woman. I went, fine. And I got up and I walked up to her. And I was like, you're so cute. We should make out. And she goes, okay. And so we start making out. And I turned to my buddy and go, see, see. And I went and sat back. I mean, I was like 20, 27 at the time. I was like very depressed. And, um, and I said, I know what it is. I need to fall in love. I've lost love. Like I can't find that again. And I was like, here's what I'm going to do. The next woman that walks in here and is a head turner, that's the one I'm gonna marry. I'm gonna fall in love. I'm gonna do the opposite of everything I've ever done. And the thing that I had to do that I think will, will blow everyone away here is I added one thing that no one would normally add, and it's what you said, vulnerability. I went in and the very next woman, I said to her, I have a problem and I can't fall in love. And she was like, that's a weird way to say hi. And, and that was the start of, I, I ended up marrying that woman. Yeah. Like, you know, I moved to America. I got my green card because I was married to an American. It was that woman um, that, that that happened with. And the reason I was sharing that is because I think men especially, but business owners especially, uh, you know, women included, are afraid of that vulnerability. And yet, at the highest level, that vulnerability is what makes you human. And people go, oh, I can see this weakness. Like I've never shared the story outside of very small groups of me yeah. cuddling up with a teddy bear in a nightclub yeah. before. Um, but it was hysterical. You got all these guys dropping bottle service and pine, be like, look at me, I'm cuddled with a teddy bear. And yeah. every woman is like, what is wrong? Are you okay? You know, they were all like, hang out with the totally. dude with the teddy bear, right? Because of vulnerability. We teach this concept around the con those four areas that I told you we want in the human experience, right? We teach a concept called protector and connector. Because the reality of it is, is if you have the ability to lower your armor, you can do that one of two ways. You can fabricate it in a moment by convincing yourself that you're safe, or you can actually unpack and process and do the work that needs to be done, which is what I recommend for everybody, because at some point then you don't even get triggered. Okay, but what is triggered? It's those moments that I'd be sitting in a meeting with a multi-billion dollar client having coordinated the 10 buyers over the course of the last year. And then my team is there for the first time, but I talk fast and I'm loud if you can't notice. And they'd lean over and they'd be like, Shh, hey Brian, you can't talk that fast, you can't talk that loud. Even though every fucking person in that room was there because of me, <laughs> what would I do? I'd shrink down, I'd bite my tongue, I'd all of a sudden not feel worthy, right? So to convince, you have to unpack so that you only spend minutes and moments in those low frequency modes versus months and years, which is what I did before. But what would happen, right? We would literally go through this process and I would have to center myself, understand what I'm doing, bring myself full circle so that I can actually move through this because I was protecting myself. So what is a protector and connector? I can lower my armor in any given moment by convincing myself that I'm safe and protected. And I can wrap a layer of protection around whatever environment I'm in, which ensures that everyone there is safe, protected, seen, understood, and connected. But that starts with leading with vulnerability. I like to say that true strength hides behind vulnerability. And the only way you can operate as a protector and connector is if you have a soft front and a strong spine. What does that mean? Strong spine means I know who I am. I know what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do, where my boundaries lie, the areas that might trigger me, the ways that I'm gonna actually approach things, my belief systems, the ways that I'm open to learning, all of who I am, which means that I can be unwavering in the light of challenge. I can walk into any room and if I'm really clear on who I am and I'm living aligned at the deepest level, then I'm, I don't have to worry about protecting anything. Then I can operate with a soft front. Now, when Eve wants to come and talk to you from an emotional perspective, does she want to hug you with your suit of armor on? 
Yeah, no, that's exactly it. She goes, hey, babe, go grab the armor. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, she, uh, she doesn't want to put her head down on a metal chest. No, of, piece, right? of course. She wants to put it down yeah, on a soft chest. Yeah. Can hold her, embrace her, bring her in. Guess what? Your employees are no different. Your clients are no different. Your partners and your friends are no different. It's all about how do you connect at the deepest level by allowing yourself to be clear and connected with who you are. Nothing can affect you. So I, I love this. Like, if someone's listening and they want to learn more about you and hear more about what your message is, where can they go? How can they find out? About if you're you? on social media, at Bogert Brian on any channels or brianbogert.com, uh, we've got a whole variety of ways that we help and engage. Dude, I love that. That's great. So at the end of every episode, we always ask people, um, what do smart businesses do? So in a single sentence or paragraph, you know, smart businesses do what? Smart businesses recognize that the leader is the one that sets the tone and smart businesses actually invest in helping the leader get out of their own way because all of the blocks, resistance, energy drain and things that happen culturally start at the top and dissect down. When you can identify and remove the trash in the leader of the organization, you also identify and remove the trash in an organization. So smart businesses make the investment to clear out what no longer serves them. Dude, I absolutely love that. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, just to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by the Smart Blueprint. And if you go to thesmartblueprint.com forward slash challenge, you can come and have a one day experience where we help you add revenue into your company. And right now that thousand dollar challenge is completely free. So go to thesmartblueprint.com forward slash challenge, uh, sponsor the show. Thank you ever so much, Brian, for being here. And for everyone else here, thank you so much. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.